Thank you, David. Uh, please turn within your Bibles to James chapter 2. And I sent a slide in. Did you guys get the slide? Okay, good. All right, wow. And it kept, well, it didn't keep the colors there. If you'll turn around, the screen, the screen in the back, no, I'm, I'm just kidding, is much better than the one in the front. So, so, so don't look at your Bible. Look at the screen. And I want to read this passage, and then I want to point out some things, and then we'll study it together. James chapter 2, this is verses 14 through 17. This is the text I was assigned. So uh, I have to tell you, it's a negative text. It really doesn't have anything positive in it. And, and I'm, I, I'm struggling with just teaching a negative text and not coming up with a, pos a positive illustration of it uh, because then I go into somebody else's text, which are two or three verses after this. So I will, I, I will highlight those verses, and, and who's ever after me is going to get all the glory for speaking about the positive things uh, in, that are in contrast to this negative text. Okay? All right. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, I've highlighted a lot of words. They're highlighted better on the back screen than they are on the front screen. But in blue, uh, there are three questions in this text. What good is it? Can that faith save him? What good is that? All three of them are rhetorical questions. There's a negative answer to them. And, and there's a contrast between saying and doing all throughout this text. And, uh, and so I, I've tried to highlight it so that it would stand out as I, as I work through this text. But, uh, but before we do, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the positive illustration that David just shared with us. Uh, from faith, from his faith and his trust and his love for you, Lord, he reached out to his neighbors. We, we, heard of, we heard of his works tonight in sharing the gospel with Vincent and David and others. And Lord, I pray that his efforts to, uh, to plant the seeds from your word will bring forth fruit unto salvation and righteousness in their lives. And so, Lord, uh, in, in a negative text, I, I thank you providentially for the testimony that was shared before this message, which is an example of what it ought to be like rather than what it is like in this text. And so, Lord, bless our study tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage really addresses the, the, the critical nature of genuine faith. Uh, you know, there's so much that we cannot explain. As we, as we think about God and who he is, as we read passages of scripture that deal with prophecy, there is so much that is beyond our understanding. And so we accept it by faith. Uh, Hebrews makes that very clear. Uh, 
You know, it's impossible to please God without faith, Hebrews tells us. And it is our faith that has really radically changed us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We are new creations. There's something different about us because we placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I just encourage you to think about creation. Think about how incredible it is that God created from nothing everything that we see today, and he did so in seven solar days. That's incredible. How can that be? Most people don't believe it. We accept it by faith. By faith, we know that the world was framed by the word of God, uh, Hebrews tells us. And, and so every day, we walk in a measure by faith or by sight. Um, but we walk. And, and the idea is that faith brings something different in our life. There was a time uh, when Martin Luther actually said that the book of James does not belong in the Bible. <laughs> I think that's very profound. He mistakenly thought that James was teaching salvation by works, working our way to heaven, you see. And, and, uh, uh, and I, I'm sure he zeroed in on this text that we're looking at tonight and rejected it. The, the, the Rome church taught this very heresy working one's way to heaven. And the greatest abuse in, in Luther's day was the sale of indulgences. Just, just buy these indulgences, and whatever sins you commit for the next 30 days, they're all covered. The money was the work by which we purchased forgiveness. I suspect that Luther was so repulsed by Rome's heresy uh, that, that he instinctively rejected the book of James. And uh, Luther had embraced clearly uh, Paul's philosophy in Romans, the just shall live by faith. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, is there a conflict between what Paul teaches in Romans and what James teaches in the epistle of James? And the answer is no, there are no conflicts in scripture. Um, Faith is a critical part of God's plan for our salvation and our sanctification. So we should not be surprised to see Satan deceive us into displacing genuine faith with a counterfeit faith. And I believe that's what we see in our text tonight, is a counterfeit faith. Uh, that's that's what we have before us. There are three questions. I've highlighted them. What good is it? It's not any good. Can that faith save him? No, it can't. What good is that? There's nothing good in that is the answer to those questions. And these three questions really expose the deceptiveness and deficient faith that's mentioned in this counterfeit faith described in these four verses. So let's look at the first question. It's found in verse 14. 
And here we see worthless faith. Worth, worthless faith. The first question introduces the section, what good is it? The first question introduces a contrast between saying and doing. I'm reminded of, of the words of Jesus in Matthew 21. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he, he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, that is the son, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to another son and said to the same, and said the same. And he answered, I will go. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. Why would somebody say to you that they have faith? Why would they say that to you? What, what is such a person trying to prove by addressing the topic of faith with you? James is describing here in this first section a faith that is actionless. It does nothing but talk of itself. He's really describing a false claim of faith. Does the gospel change everything? Does the gospel change anything? Uh, if there haven't been changes in somebody's life, then the gospel hasn't changed that person's life. Is the deficiency with the gospel? No. The deficiency is never with the gospel. Does your walk match your talk, or is it actionless? Merely verbally claiming that one has faith doesn't mean they have faith. Can someone's lack of action speak so loudly that their spoken words about their great faith cannot be heard or believed? And the answer to that is yes. Jesus teaching in Matthew 6 said, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. <laughs> Don't talk about giving. Don't do it to be seen. Just secretly do it, is the point of Jesus. And then a few verses later, he addresses praying. He says, go into your closet. Don't talk about praying. Don't pray to be seen by others. Just secretly do it. You know, easy believism has really become the curse of evangelicalism. People who honestly believe that they can go forward in a church and say a formulaic prayer and, and then leave that church and never come back to that church again and honestly believe that whatever they needed to do to satisfy God took place in that moment in life. They are deceived. Again, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 14, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I'm reminded of the, of the book that John MacArthur wrote, Hard to Believe. It's based on this text. And, and, and his point is that there's a lot of people who think they're on their way to heaven, and they're not. There is a gate 
that does not save. There is a faith that does not save. That's the teaching of this text. So what good is it? (laughs) This kind of faith is worthless. And worthless faith is also hopeless faith. It cannot save. And, And we see this in the second question. Can that kind of faith save him? And the rhetorical answer is no. Don't choose the easy way, the wrong way, or the broad way. I've shared Philippians, 12, Philippians 2, 12 to 13 several times in my comments. I marvel at this text of scripture because it really speaks of the right balance of what I am to do and what God is already doing in me. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. In Hebrews 11, we see the hall of faith. It records numerous Old Testament saints who had genuine faith. In every reference, their faith caused them to do something. They were not actionless. Their faith had great value. Their faith saved them. Some did great things. Others simply died for their faith, and we don't even know their names. But note, in each instance, their faith was visible in what they did. It was visible in their actions. Jesus told the parable in, uh, in, in, in Matthew 25, 14 of the talents. One man got five, another got two, and another got one. They went and traded. The one hid his talent. And when the master returned, the, the one who received five and two got exactly the same words of commendation for using what the master had entrusted to them. But the one who did not use his talent, who hid it, received words of condemnation. He thought he was okay with his master, and reality, he was not. So I ask you tonight, do you have worthless faith? Do you have worthless faith? And do you have hopeless faith? If someone's faith is worthless, it's no good. And therefore, it's hopeless. It can't help them, and it can't save them. And that kind of faith becomes fruitless faith. And we see this in the illustration in our text. It won't help others either. In verses 15 through 16, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? James gives us the hypothetical example, and it's a realistic example. It's the kind of example that could happen happen at Super Road Baptist Church. James says, consider those without daily necessities, their clothes and food. He wrote often about the poor. In chapter 1, in verse 9 and 27, he refers to the poor and those who have, who have been harmed by, uh, by the sin of others. In the beginning of this chapter, in verses 2 through 6, he refers again to the poor, and then in our text here. Fruitless faith will be illustrated further by the next speaker in verses 18 through 20. 
He says, even the demons believe. Even the demons know God is real. And I would say the demons have works too. But they're not the kind of works that we want to have. So, so what's the difference between their belief in God and our belief in God? And really it can be summarized in the word love. We love God. Our faith in the Lord is motivated by loyal love to him. And in that loyal love, there are acts of kindness and mercy that we readily uh, uh, meet out to others. You know, I, a great example to me is, is my own personal salvation. I was saved as a senior in high school uh, through, the, through the athletes and the fellowship of Christian athletes in my public high school. And I have to tell you, over the course of two years, they witnessed to me repeatedly. And, and I, I gave them a hard time. I mocked them. Uh, shamefully, I, I cussed them out several times. But I have to tell you, it was the genuine nature of their faith. They really believed what they were telling me, and it was obvious to me that they loved God and that their love for God, their faith, was fleshed out in their concern for me. God used the works of their faith to open my understanding to the gospel. It's really why I'm here today. So I'm, I'm glad that their faith caused them to reach out to neighbors, Dave. Our faith should do the same. Um, so, yes, we need to pray and believe that God will save our unsaved loved ones. But we also need to put feet to our prayers and tell them about Jesus. Now, I've illustrated this concept of, of, of faith and works in my own salvation, but, but this, this biblical hypothetical is about brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. You see, our biblical responsibility to each other is great, according to this text. And I, and I reiterate the one another passages that, that, that exhort us and command us to look after one another and take care of one another. Many churches have deacons' funds for that reason. People give into a special pot of money so that when there's a, when there's a special need in, in somebody's family, the deacons can reach out and, and, and meet that need. Uh, Galatians 6 says, As ye have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Jesus said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto, me, unto one of the least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Faith and works. You know, as a Navy chaplain, I used to spend countless hours in executive officer investigations. We called them XOIs. And then captain's mask. Uh, so, uh, just in case you didn't know, sailors sometimes get in trouble aboard ships and overseas. And when they do, uh, they violate the Uniform Code of Military Justice, and, and they're arrested and charged and they come before the XO, and it's a very formal inquiry. And if the XO thinks the guy's guilty and, 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 and he ought to be forwarded to captain, he sends it up to captain's mask. Well, I'm standing at attention right next to the command master chief in XOI, and I'm standing at attention uh, in captain's mask. And often the captain would ask me if somebody got in a lot of trouble, uh, Chaplain, have you seen this sailor? 
And it's uh, for some of them, they had been seeing me and I knew the problems. And of course, I, I couldn't reveal to the captain what, what they were talking to me about because that was confidential. But other times they had never seen the captain. And sometimes the captain would tell them, go see the chaplain after we're done here. But I'm going to tell you what, the captain usually put the fear of God in them after captain's mast. Some of them went to the brig. Some of them were given restriction. Some of them were fined. And after captain's mask was over, they'd be lined up outside the room that we were just in, and I'd usually be one of the first ones out, and I'd stop in front of each one of them, and I'd say, I want you to come see me after all this is over. Yes, sir, chaplain, I'll come see you. Every one of them, and almost every one of them would come and see me. And I used that as an opportunity to be able to share the gospel with them. And, and usually when, when people are in serious trouble like that, uh, God opens their heart, and, and, and it gives me an opportunity. But you know, I had one XO. He said, he said, Chaplain, I don't know why you visit sailors that are in the brig. I said, they're worthless. He said, they're worthless dirt bags. <laughs> and, 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 and he told me not to go. He said, I was wasting my time. And uh, I wasn't wasting my time. It was really very valuable time. But he couldn't see it because he didn't have the right perspective. 1 John 3, 16 says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for, our, for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Very interesting. It's not faith in this text. It's love. Because faith and love go together to bring about the works that are being spoken of. Worthless, hopeless, fruitless faith is finally lifeless faith. And we see this not in the question, but in the last statement in verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Lifeless faith is dead faith. Faith that is alone dies like an ember taken out of a fire gradually dies by itself. A dead person cannot and does not help anyone. He can't help anyone. He can't do anything. We may vainly boast about how great our faith is, but it is dead if not viewed in our actions. False claims of faith are silenced by evidence. Warren Wiersbe said, people with dead faith substitute words for deeds. Our words are never as good as our works. God gave us one mouth, two ears, two hands, and two feet. Our feet and our hands uh, and our ears should be more active than our mouth in this context. Three times in chapter 2, we're warned by James, faith without works is dead. 17, verse 20, and verse 26. So this is the counterfeit that's described in our text. It's worthless, hopeless, fruitless, lifeless faith. And it will be contrasted by living faith. But somebody else will do the contrast, not me. But I will suggest that Abraham's offering was an example of living faith. Rahab's faith was living faith, and look what it caused them to do. 
So what should we think about people who claim to have saving faith but demonstrate no evidence in their life? I, I really wonder how many people there are like that in churches across our land. Remember the sobering words of our Lord Jesus. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. John MacArthur said of this text, James is not disputing the importance of faith. Rather, he's opposing the notion that saving faith can be a mere intellectual exercise void of a commitment to active obedience. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. You know, Jacob DeShazer, um, I shared this before, hated the Japanese in, in World War II, and he, and he just wanted to get in the army and get to Japan as quickly as he can to kill as many Japanese as he could. And so he volunteered to be a part of Doolittle's Raiders. And you know the story. They flew a one-way mission. He was captured and imprisoned in a Japanese POW camp. And, and the guards horribly abused him while he was there. And his hatred toward them just became more intense. A Bible was circulated through the camp. He read the whole scripture in one week and memorized scores of passages. And he came to Christ that week by faith in the word of God. And, and even the guards whom he had before hated noticed a radical change in his life. The war ended. He survived the POW camp. He went back to Washington State and went to Bible school. And then he went back to Japan and spent numerous years seeking to reach the Japanese people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that's faith that is exhibited by works. So I ask you tonight, if somebody were to look at your life, could they see your faith? If somebody were to look at your life, could they see your faith? Really, the input of this text is that they should be. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the poignancy of your word, for its directness in dealing with tough issues in our life. And Lord, we know that the wicked one would seek to deceive us about even this nature of faith. We know it is so important for our salvation and even for our sanctification. I pray, Heavenly Father, that your spirit would speak to each heart and that he would do his work and that you would draw us unto yourself and that others would see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.